Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and non-binary pals, this is The Hockey Flow, and I'm proud to share it alongside Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico. You can find their amazing work on the internet, of course. Twitter is the best place to find them. Of course, Adam Boucher can be found at RealLyAdamB, and Marco D'Amico can be found at The Hockey Expert, and of course, at his amazing website, scrimmageandstats.com. I want to let you know of a couple things first before we start off our episode. First of all, we won't be back until December 22nd, uh, so right before the Christmas holidays and the holidays for everyone, so regardless of what you celebrate or if you don't celebrate, celebrate with us the world juniors because that's what all hockey fans are really excited and stoked about so uh, we'll be giving you the matchups and the previews and hopefully we can snag a guest or two uh, to come in and help us with our analysis of the game but of course Marco and Adam have you in control and they're going to bring you the best and the brightest of analysis that's it for my end uh, let's get right into it uh, boys we have some news from around the league so let's talk about Johnny Boychuk because it's a kind of a strange story so I'm going to throw it over to Adam to start us off yeah so we had we got news from uh... Uh, well, basically the Boychuk clan saying he was not, he's not retiring, but he's basically um, because of injuries, he's forced to stop playing hockey. Um, he's basically being placed on long-term IR. So that's, and yeah, it's pretty sad news from, from his end. And we, we saw some of his interviews that were, he was so emotionally, he was just heartbroken having to stop uh hockey so because of injuries so i don't know what marco you think about it do you have a- it's one of those things where it sucks for the hockey player so if, if we're gonna look at this and isolate just the hockey player this sucks i mean it was a nothing play um it looked like he was good to go he was ready to play the next game um but ultimately it's players health first you don't want to wind up five years from now with consistent migraines and a broken eye socket and, and potentially lost vision in one eye. Like just, you know, it's, it's about you. Uh, his money is secure. Insurance will take care of the last year of his contract. Uh, there's no point. Don't risk it. Uh, I understand the hurt of the game because you don't get to leave on your own terms. I respect that. On the flip side, on the flip side, I, I really wanted to stress the two are not related. But on the flip side, how fortuitous is this for the New York Islanders who are now able to fit Matt Barzell quite easily under the cap once they do eventually sign him? They had to sacrifice Devin Tays. They signed Pollock, but now they got to sign Barzell. There's discussions that they have uh, deals in place ready to be filed to the league with Corey Schneider um Matt Martin and a, a few other players I believe but they're all they're most likely going to be mi- uh, minimum salary oh Andy Green that's what it was going to probably be minimum salary so again not worth anywhere near the cap hit that is coming off the books uh the 6 point this approximately 6 million dollar cap hit that's coming off the books for Boychuk so this is good news for the Islanders whom I thought were doomed if they didn't trade Boychuk, uh, but here he is retiring uh, on paper. So good for him for focusing on his health and making sure that he'll have two eyes for the rest of his life. Uh, but also at the same time, you know, it's it's always the same with these cap strap teams. They all seem to find a fluky way to get out of the cap situation, even though they overspend every single time. So 
we'll see. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, there's still a lot of money to go around in this league. There's still some keynote free agents. So it's going to be interesting. But at the end of the day, it's about the player. And although he gave the middle finger to the Montreal crowd when he played for the Boston Bruins, I wish Johnny Boychuk all the best. I, I think that's the best way to put it. And, and again, we can put rivalries aside and just be honest and just wish the best for health for players, right? We don't we don't wish any ill will against players. The only ill will we wish you is the longest penalty in the penalty box. But this is the longest one that you can suffer, right? The end of your career on in your time in the NHL. So we don't root for that ever. So it's a shame that his career has ended in this manner. I just wish that he gets all the health care and needs and time that he can. And let's root for him for the best, right? That's I think that's all we can say at this moment. So let's uh, jump to our next story from here. Uh, let's talk about... We have a couple of signings, Sergachev and Debrusque. Let's start off with Sergachev. So it was a three-year uh, AEV. 4.8. Okay, 4.8. Cool. So, yeah. I mean... Adam, I think between you and I, we look at that on paper and you look at Sergachev and you're like, this is a great contract. That's a steal. It is. In terms of his yeah. actual value, that is a steal. Uh, the breakdown is that his last year is worth $7.2 million. That's how the average works out so that it comes to 4.8 because I think the beginning starts off at 2, then 5, then 7.2. Um, so what you need to take into consideration is that when a player plays in the NHL, before they reach unrestricted free agency status, and we've talked about this on other episodes, they need seven years of active play, contractual play. That means minimum 40 games to start your first year, which he got in his first season with Tampa Bay the year after he was traded from Montreal. That was three years ago, three seasons ago. Now he's signed for three more seasons. Now, remember the rule, 7 or 27. So either he turns 27 years old or he plays seven seasons in the NHL. So if he had a three-year entry-level contract and a three-year bridge deal, how many more years to seven? One. Yeah. It means that Sergachev can take the qualifying offer, which is 1.2 or, yeah, 120% the worth of the final year of his deal. So I mentioned it right before we got into this discussion. The last year of this contract that he just signed is worth $7.2 million. That means that the minimum qualifying offer is going to be upwards of almost $8 million for Sergachev if he is to stay in Tampa Bay. So That's crazy. I, I Wow. Just to retain his rights at the end of this deal. Tampa Bay is going to have to pay $8 million on a one-year contract. And if Sergachev really wanted to make bank, he could take that one-year offer, and there is nothing, zilch, that the Tampa Bay Lightning can do but watch him walk because he's, he, that's his one year, right? He's got one year left before free agency after that. So he can take that qualifying offer and walk right into free agency. And he would hands down be one of the top, if not the top defensemen available in terms of value, in terms of long-term effect to the franchise, and in terms of play. Um, I think that Tampa Bay bailed themselves out of a tough situation with that contract, but they've just delayed the problem even further. 
instead of signing him to five or six, seven years and giving him the extra $2 million and and worrying about buying out players or trading players, they band-aided the situation. And really, it's it's going to be difficult for them to put everything together unless the cap starts increasing by the time his contract comes up. Because we saw it with Jacob Truba. He was in the exact same situation where he had one year left and the Winnipeg Jets weren't willing to risk it and they traded him to the New York Rangers. So I I don't foresee Sergachev staying long-term in Tampa Bay if this is the structure his agent decided to go with. And that basically means that in four years, well, in three years after his contract, he could be, he could be, he's going to be signing for eight million, and you're going to have Hedman on the books for seven point eight for an extra, like one season after that, mm-hmm. which is crazy. You would have basically sixteen million dollars in in for two defensemen. Yeah, I mean, you could have nineteen million dollars for two defensemen like San Jose does, and finish third to last. Um, not it doesn't necessarily mean that they won't produce. If if anything, I think they might they will produce. But I don't think Tampa Bay had a choice. They are so thin on the left side in, in terms of their organizational structure that they don't have anybody near Sergachev's level or potential that he can still hit. because uh, keep in mind, like he was drafted in 2016. I know he's an established NHL defenseman today. But he's still quite young. Like he's not old. He's 22, 23. So you know, yeah. it, it's there's still potential that's untapped here. So that he could he could potentially be worth more than eight million come then, and it won't be a, a problem of signing him. Um, and he might be the proper replacement for Hedman moving forward. But we don't know that yet. Right now, what we know is Sergeyev is a very capable second pair defenseman that could potentially fill in. Maybe on a top pair if all things work out, but I. So let's move over to, uh, I guess, Jake Dabruska and his contract. So let's talk a little bit about that. First of all, uh, quite a nice little move from David Pasnack ribbing him on social media when he did get that sort of, uh, uh, I think it's two years, salary cap of $3.65 million. Uh, so the reality is is that uh, Mr. Pasnack took to Twitter, to, uh, sorry, excuse me, to Instagram to sort of, you know, jib him a little bit, being like, hey, congrats, maybe now I can pay for dinner once in a while. <laughs> so a uh, little nice little jab. Uh, I think uh, it's a nice little move. Uh, anyway, let me throw it over to you, Mark. What do you think about this contract? I mean, it's, I think, again, this is a no-risk contract. Like, we just talked about it before. <laughs> you know, coming off of your entry-level contract and then signing another three years leaves the restricted free agent open to taking the one-year deal and then walking to free agency. 
The Boston Bruins have given themselves two years to work with Jake DeBrusque after this deal expires. So what do they have for the next two years? They have a cost-control restricted free agent, former 30-goal scorer that's going to fit quite nicely in their top six as he continues to improve. So for me, this is a win for the Boston Bruins, and it allows Jake DeBrusque time to increase his value should there ever be a need for trade. Uh, if, if the Boston Bruins are looking to maybe you know improve defense, then maybe a guy like Jake DeBrusque is what they move to improve that defense now that they've lost Tory Krug. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see how things go, but this is a no-risk move for the Boston Bruins, unlike what Tampa Bay has done. And and by all means, I, it, uh, Adam, you we, we, we talked about this. I remember talking to you about him when he was drafted, but he just fits the Boston Bruins quite well. Power forward, score in your face. Like, I don't dislike Jake DeBrusque. I think he's a very good hockey player. Yeah, he's. Uh, I have to agree with, with that. And for 3.6 annual average, I mean, for two years, that's that's a pretty good value for a top six. Like I traded for him in any job. Yeah, basically. That's, that's the kind of guy I go and get. Yeah, you actually made me draft him in, in his rookie year, I believe. Yes, I did. So, there you go. Worked out well. <laughs> All right, so let's move to something completely different now. Let's move over to COVID cases in the NHL world. Unfortunately, I really shouldn't say the NHL world, the hockey world. Uh, so we've had a lot of crop-ups of cases, and this is just going to only increase as time goes on. But uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and Vegas Golden Knight players were te- uh, were tested, and they tested positive. So let me throw it over to you. Mar- uh, let's throw it over to Adam. What are you thinking? I'm I'm thinking this is... It's, it's not as bad as... It sounds right now, but it's it's gonna end up delaying the the NHL start, right? The the season start. So we had four players who tested positive on on the Golden Knights, and we had several others on on Columbus, if I'm not mistaken. Um. So yeah, my I think that January first start is is slowly starting to to fade away, and we're, we're probably more gonna see hockey in in February. I don't know what you think about it, Marco. It's not even a health concern anymore. There is so much going on in terms of what they need to do to just get hockey started beyond COVID itself, just fiscally speaking, that it's, first of all, it's irrelevant that these players have a, are, are positive with COVID right now to me in relation to an eventual return to play. Because, first of all, if there is a return to play, it'll be the same concept as before. They will isolate with their teammates for two weeks. They will then go into a bubble, however long it lasts, where they will be isolated. Like, it's irrelevant. So we know that when push comes to shove and when it comes time to, like, we saw it during the playoffs, right? St. Louis and Tampa Bay had COVID. St. Louis, uh, Tampa Bay won the cup. It changes nothing. So what we know from this is very simple. It's unfortunately players caught COVID. It sucks. Uh, players with active hockey seasons in Europe have caught COVID. Just ask a couple of KHL teams. Um, there's nothing you can do. So right now, the only thing you can do is to put in the proper, you know, processes and, and, and rules in place beforehand to ensure that there's no propagation once they all congregate together within their respective teams 
and then against each other. And I think that's the key, right? Like you're looking at other leagues that are kind of going with it for the sake of it. Like the NFL, for example, that's just like, oh, yeah, we're going to delay the Ravens game till Sunday. Oh, well, no, we're going to delay the Ravens game till like Tuesday. Like that's half-assing it. Whereas the NHL kind of was just kind of, you know, no, none of this. For three months, they had zero COVID cases. Zero. So I'm not worried about news breaking out that there's COVID cases. In fact, the only thing I thought about when I saw that the Columbus Blue Jackets had a COVID case was I hoped that Max Domi was not training with them because he is immunocompromised with his diabetes. And that's just, he, that no one needs to go through that, especially with diabetes. So that was my only thought. Uh, so for me, I don't think this weighs much on a return to play. I think the fiscal discussions between the league and the players has far more weight into that yeah if you want to jump into that right now actually that was a good topic we had to discuss like they're not getting along they're they're what's the exact number they're asking for they were asking for 16 percent more in in uh in salary cuts was it that was it the exact number in the teens but They've already agreed to a 10% reduction and they wanted an extra 16 from what I remember. Which is close, which is ridiculous. And we kind of talked about this last episode. It's just, uh, at this point, like, I mean, we're obviously arguing in favor of millionaires versus billionaires, but nonetheless, like, I just don't think that you should be undervalued for the work that you do. In the NHL, there's a clear factor that what you're doing is very short term and very dangerous. So let's not... Let's not mince words here. They're just taking a, a, a quarter cut off because of COVID, when in fact they should be getting hazard pay for what they're doing. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. The long-term longevity of their career matters more, and some of that does tie to monetary reasons. So, And at this point, I have no, I have no sympathy for the NHL. And if you've heard all me rant about this before. In fact, if it, and we know this, if the NHL decides to cancel the season for whatever reason... The NHLPA has grounds for serious litigation. Like, I mean, multi-million dollar lawsuit that would set the owners back farther than not conceding, than conceding to the to the players, than not asking for this. This is why the NHLPA is quiet right now, because they have the long stick, so to speak. They hold the higher leverage in this situation because, again... The NHL signed a new CBA with the players in the in the summer and are obligated to respect those terms going into next season. And so if they just decide to play hardball and call a lockout, it's as clear as day in these documents. It's available to the public. They are in hot water and they know it. And what's going to happen is they're going to wait to see if the NHLPA flinches And if they don't, you bet your bottom dollar they'll be back at the negotiation table come next week. Because even if they want a 48-game season by February, just to give you guys an idea, there were serious talks in place in 2012 by this time in, in November, December, so that they had a return to hockey situation in place where they didn't have to deal with all the covid situation and fans and what to do with security and whatnot it took them still a month and a half from then and it was announced in january that they'd be coming back in february so if the nhl wants to play 
at all this year. Uh, they need to swallow their pride, put take the money out of their pocket, and think about the fans for a second. Because if there is one thing that's going to turn off fans from this product, it is a third lockout in 20 years. Do not test hockey fans. Do not test. There is too much of an alternative out there. You have soccer. You have you have football. You have European hockey that's now more accessible than ever before. It is esports. 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 I'm telling you, like this is this is a nightmare scenario for the NHL. Because if they play hardball in this situation, they could literally see their fan base evaporate. Like, let's be straight. Canada is a big country, but it ain't as big as the United States, and we're nowhere near in their radar. Like, we're, we've been a distant fourth, and we're losing that ground. So if the NHL wants to remain viable in a market, they have to do things right. They've done things right. For, let's give them the compliments. We've, we've given them the compliments on the show. We've given them a lot of disparaging things. We've said a lot of things like that. But they've got the the COVID lockdown correct and the bubble system correct. But if they get this wrong, it could spell the end of NHL hockey as we know it. There's no question of that to me. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. There's, for the first time in a long time, there is open dialogue in terms of relocation for multiple teams. Like this is something, and 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 it's not for those that are listening to this. I don't. I'm not stirring the fires of a Quebec City return. This is not what I'm here for. There is a significant amount. Although we all support that, I think, right? We all support that if we if it does come about. Anybody who thinks that there should be more French Canadians on the Montreal Canadiens can go root for the Nordiques. Absolutely, but at the same time, we also have teams in the Western Conference that are hanging by a thread. I'm looking at you, failed experiment that is Arizona, um, that more than likely will wind up in Houston. So, you know, it's ultimately you have these options. Another one is Kansas City, for example. Uh, should a team in the South or Midwest uh, not handle uh, the COVID very well? So there is a ton of options. And you could even find the Florida Panthers who was who were already cutting costs up the wazoo uh, before the pandemic reached its second wave, uh, wind up in Quebec City if they keep this up because it is simply unsustainable. And profit sharing, the way that the league is built, simply cannot throw perpetual life jackets at these franchises. So unfortunately, uh, it might cause folding. It might cause folding plus expansion elsewhere. It might cause relocation. But the best thing that I think this will do is it will strengthen the core teams of this league because they will stay standing and the profit sharing won't be as in as direct if they allow for a uh, transfer, if they allow for a relocation or a further expansion because that's money that goes back into these owners' pockets from the prospective owners that are coming in. So either way, this would be good news for the existing big owners like the Rangers, uh, the Habs, the Maple Leafs, the Chicago Blackhawks. These are big money teams uh, that are sustaining these lower market uh, teams. Uh, they could stand to benefit from this as well. So they're probably pushing for that right now in the Board of Governors meetings. That's that's crazy how much like how much of an effect this next season could have on the league. Like what what's the deadline you would think like they have to get an agreement done? You were you were talking about a month and a half. 
I would say by January, mid if they haven't come to an agreement by January 20th, uh, I'm throwing in the towel. Because you have to factor in two things here. A, they cannot, cannot have a season go beyond July 15th. They can't. The Olympics, nothing's going to stop at this year. It stopped it last year. Nothing's going to stop it this year. They're going to vax everybody that goes to Tokyo. That is a guaranteed fact. So there's no stopping that. And it, they, there's no major sports carrier that is going to follow the NHL over the Olympics. Nothing. Number two, they absolutely need to start before the first, or as of the first of February, if they want a 48 game season. And for anybody who remembers the 2012-2013 season, uh, there were a lot of back-to-back games in that calendar. And players complained about it to all ends. And there's a reason why young players did excessively well that year is because a lot of the veterans didn't like coming into the season cold like that. Whereas you had guys like P.K. Subban winning the Norris in his third season in the NHL. So, like, it, it... it again plays with the dynamic of a hockey player that's used to a September training camp, three to uh, two to three months in the fall, going into the winter to really get used to the season, and then boom, you come into January and it's like, okay, it's the full season. Here we go down the stretch into the playoffs. They don't have that anymore, so they're all discombobulated. You have training camps in January; it makes no sense to these guys. So they absolutely need to start by February first. And I think you also have to factor that it's for 2120 the 21-22 season they're going to have their new TV rights. Um so they want to have the full season as as much as possible. Right? So the yeah. 21-2020-21 money they have to give if they have a 48 game season they have to give approximately half yeah. back to all these people that bought rights for their games because they're not there anymore for the regular season. Now, you factor in the playoffs, that's another story entirely. However, and I stand by this fact, the league, again, has far more to lose than the players here. I think that we've seen this. You know, Adam was talking to me about how weird this is that, you know, how COVID is playing with these leagues. There are three teams that folded in the KHL for the, 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 this, up, this season, the 2020-21 season in the KHL. Three teams were just like, yeah, we'll see you next year. So... One team actually just ceased to exist, and they they the players were free agents. So this is something you might realistically see in the NHL, and we haven't seen that since the you know the intra war period uh, between World War One and World War Two, where teams just were like, yeah, uh, peace, and ceased to exist. Uh, it's it's gonna happen, I think, but it won't happen in a way where the franchise just goes away. I think the NHL is too proud of, a, of a, an organization to do that. I know that they have prospective owners interested that weren't as heavily affected by this pandemic as some were uh, that would love to be prospective owners of NHL franchises on the cheap. Keep an eye out. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there were at least one relocation in the next two years. Certainly not. And I think that's, that's definitely just good business sense in any case. Let's talk about other good business sense, and that's sort of looking over the prospect pool uh, that's happening right now. Let's talk about Cole Caulfield, uh, who had a Big Ten first star of the week. Uh, Marco, do you want to speak to a little bit about this? Uh, yeah, so I think it was like something 
like four goals and two or something like that. Yeah, I I watched both games. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I think everybody who's ever listened to me talk knows how big of a fan of Cole Caulfield I am. You know, I thought that he was the glue that made that top line work in the U.S. national development team the year of his draft. Uh, you know, and watching him, you know, shake off the rust in the first two games of the the NCAA calendar, at least for for Wisconsin, who's played the most amount of games out of all. Um, he's really gone from like tentative to dominant in about six games, which is expected, I guess, from a player of his caliber. I think that anybody who's kidding themselves and isn't expecting this kid to be the best player on the ice uh, is fanboying at this point. I think a player of his caliber, of his ilk in that league should be dominant, but it's how he's being dominant. I think that speaks volumes because although he wasn't scoring uh, the first uh, four games of the season, um, he was everywhere. And he had the highest amount of high danger chances per game out of anybody in the NCAA. Now, I know that doesn't mean much because many, many, many divisions haven't played. Heck, uh, the ECAC, I think, canceled their entire season. So there goes Harvard. Um, but Cole Caulfield is playing with a confidence that I was hoping to see. He is far more physically involved, which is cool for someone who's 5'8". Um, it's also quite fun to see him more active uh, in terms of puck recuperation. So it's, he's not just hot-dogging. Um, it's it, it has a lot to do with you know, how he goes about playing, where he positions himself on the ice, who uh, he looks for on the ice. And what's really interesting is, you know, he does have four goals, although one, three of those goals were scored in the same game. One of them was an empty netter, but two were gorgeous. He's getting those goals while not playing uh, his traditional power play position, which is, as everybody who's ever seen Cole Caulfield knows, the left circle. Uh, he's actually playing the right point. Uh, and that's being done so that he can work on increasing his playmaking ability, which I found to be a nice challenge from Tony Granato, the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, anybody who isn't sure about what I'm saying, you know, go go check out the Wisconsin Badgers page or heck, just punch in uh, Cole Caulfield's goal or Cole Caulfield power play uh, over the last uh, two, three weeks. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. He plays the right point. And it's odd that it's working, but it does because it actually has forced him to develop an aspect of his game that many people doubted when he was drafted. Many people thought he was a unidimensional goal scorer. Uh, and as it turns out, he's quite an efficient passer. Um, one of the highest completed pass rates uh, and very much the highest completion of pass rates for a high danger area so he's good at threading the needle uh, in the slot, which is saying something um, for a small guy playing high-intensity checking games in the NCAA. So excellent play from Cole Caulfield, but uh, it's it's in the uncertainty of the NCAA's calendar. It's fun to see where he's at. At least you get to see the progress. And I, I really hope we see him dominate at the world juniors this year because he he didn't have that he doesn't have that john beecher yeah because he didn't have that (laughs) that good of a tournament last year and a lot of people keep judging him on how he plays there so 
I hope he really tears it up. The biggest competition that Cole Caulfield has at right wing is Kaliev, is Arthur Kaliev, in my opinion, and Bobby Brink. Two excellent prospects, uh, especially at their levels right now, especially Kaliev. Kaliev is a one heck of a goal scorer, uh, potentially lazy uh, in all other aspects than a power play. So maybe Bobby Brink fits in there. There's also Matthew Robertson that could be loaned, uh, but he's he's a left winger. Um, so really, I feel like a top six spot is pretty much assured, if not a top line spot is pretty much assured for Cole Caulfield. My question is, who would he play with? Would the New Jersey Devils allow for Jack Hughes to play the World Junior Championships and buddy up again with his old pal Cole Caulfield and maybe a Matthew Robertson on the left and really give Canada a run for its money? I that would be magic. that would be magic if if the Leafs and and the and the Devils loan those two guys. Uh, that that would be incredible, and it should it should happen. I really hope it happens because the way things are going right now, January first start date is impossible. Uh, so I'm really thinking if it, it is February first, they can go from one bubble straight to the other, and that would be good. So be it would work out for all, and I think that Canadians fans would get a kick out of watching Cole Caulfield get points. Uh, Marco, can you, because you were on loan watch, essentially, we know that Jesperi Kostinami returned. Can you talk a little bit about his his loan at all? Uh, or Absolutely. I watched many of the games. Um, so for a lot of people, not just AJ, a lot of people that don't know where Pori is in Finland, uh, it's the hometown of only two notable NHLers. One- I'm so sorry, my Finnish friends. I love you guys. You're awesome. We can be friends. Uh, sorry about that. My bad. Uh, I'll buy a jersey of Devante Smith Pelly, okay? <laughs> so the two, there's two notable players that come from Pori. Both play for the Montreal Canadiens. One is Joel Armia, the other one is Jesperi Kakaniemi. Um, Jesperi Kakaniemi was given the mandate to play for the Asat Aces, as they're called in, uh, or they're the Pori Aces, essentially, uh, in the Finnish Liga, the first division of hockey in the Finnish elite, or the Finnish Hockey League, as it's called, so the Liga. Um, so right now, what happened is Kakaniemi was given, you know, second-line minutes on a pretty bad team uh, and was really able to kind of get his legs moving and, and really see the development of his training. A lot of what's been going on with Kakaniemi in Finland since the end of the playoffs has been lower body training and explosivity, so it was time to put his training to the test. Uh, visually speaking, he covered a lot of ice. For those of you that don't know, Finland plays on a hybrid rink. It's a little bit bigger. It's not the full European rinks that they have in Sweden uh, or in some parts of Russia or other European countries, uh, but it's it's a hybrid between that and what the NHL has. So that's what they use in Finland. They call it the Finnish rink. Um, in that hybrid rink, Kakaniemi covered the most amount of ice out of any hockey player in any game at all times, which means that he was moving splendidly across the ice. And that's really what you were looking for, right? Like a lot of people will just kind of be like, oh, he, you know, it's the Finnish, it's the Finnish hockey league, the Liga, he, he's a third overall pick. He should have like 10 points per game. That's not exactly what he was there for, um, I'm sure that if he were there for the full season, he would have been more vested from an effort perspective. 
He wouldn't have been zoning to work on specific things, uh, but he was. And I think the coaching staff in Corey were also kind of having discussions with Canadians because his role continued to evolve game after game after game to the point where by the end of it, he was playing 20 minutes a game, was getting multi-point games night in, night out, uh, you know, positive face-off output, had a like a total completed pass ratio of about 89% over the, the entirety of his time there. Like it was, it was ridiculous. He was just everywhere. And physically he was dominant. He was hitting everything in sight. A lot of people will go and look at the points. Uh, I really want to point out that he got eight of his points in his last five games. And in the pri- in the beginning, the first four or five, he couldn't buy a point uh, to save his life. And I'm talking about like, if you've ever seen sure goals in the NHL, the the Alish Hemskis of this world uh, that have missed open nets and the, uh, the, the the Stepans of this world that have just, or the for relevance sake, the Arturi Lekkonens of this world that just miss open nets, he was on a team full of Arturi Lekkonens. And it was fun to see how many high danger chances he created for them. Frustrating to see how many they would miss, even if it would, you know, my grandmother could have scored those goals. But it was interesting to see how he went about doing that. And I think that that is what needs to be taken from this, is that when he physically got ready, because it is important to note, uh, Leaf fans can attest to this, uh, but when a player comes in cold in the middle of a season and is forced to, to get a season pace without a training camp or a start to the season, it takes a few games to get the wheels going and to really get that cardio and tempo. Because you can train all you want. You can be a marathon runner for all I care but there is nothing like cardio in a contact sport. That to me is next level. So once he got his legs moving, he got moving. I feel the same way about a guy like Shea Weber coming into the season midway and having to find his legs versus starting a training camp. I felt the same way about William Nylander with the Leafs, who I was referencing, who came in cold two years ago and then had a great season playing a full season last season. So I think that Kakaniemi was really able to to seize his chance and, and continue to grow. And now he's going to spend, uh, just, just to say, Jay, he's still in Finland. Um, he hasn't returned yet to Montreal. And I think that's a good thing because he's going to continue with his power skating uh, and his lower body training. So I think that's a win for everybody, including the folks in Finland who are going to be able to cheer him on in future Olympics. Am I right? Amen. Amen. Except not. <laughs> Uh, listen, uh, it was just strange because I, I saw that tweet out from uh, Asad. How am I pronouncing that correctly? I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So, uh, just close, let's just put it this way. You've given more thought to it than most people who pronounce it. Nonetheless, my Finnish friends of Asad, I heard you have a great buffet. Uh, the only So the only reason this came up is because somebody was posting about this on a Habs forum that I follow, and they were saying that they get buffet at at the same place at the rink, and apparently you can bump into Cockney Miami if you do with a bunch of other teammates as well. So uh, so if you're, if, you're in, if you're in Finland, <laughs> maybe it's worth the drive. I would just like to point out how informal hockey is in 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 the Scandinavian. It's amazing, right? I, I find it amazing. Like I, I talked to um, Patrick Bexell, who is a, con- a contributor, Mr. Zeb, and he tells me how candid all of his interviews are with players because you can literally, like, in most cases, you have to ask the teams for permission. In a lot of cases, you can just go up to the players and ask them a few questions. It's so candid. I love that dynamic. Here, players, I find 
a little bit less accessible. So it's cool. Certainly. Uh, anything else before we tag up for the show? Either of you guys? There is one thing that I think is, is worth kind of hovering over. And it pertains specifically to the fact that we have a plan in place to play the NWHL season in Lake Placid. I think that coupled with the hiring of uh, Miss Schofield, Mrs. Sorry, Co- uh, Schofield in um, in Chicago, I think is two great pieces of news for women in hockey right now. Um, so for the Lake Placid, I think what's really important to discuss is they plan on playing a full season in the bubble and playoffs. Um, I don't know about any of you guys. Regardless, if the NHL comes back, I think that's something we should probably be watching. I think that's going to be excellent hockey. Just, just it out. No, I think women's hockey deserves all the love and support we can. It, just, it was so crappy to again. Maybe we should open that can of worms sometime in the in the winter break. But I am fed up with women's hockey being treated like a second class sport, and more importantly, not getting the view on the eyeballs that it should get. For God's sake, they perform like amazing feats, and it just it's just so entertaining to watch. It doesn't have to be even at just at an Olympic level, and it's just again, like I'm I'm sorry, I'm still sad about the Ken and Zien, um being folding along with the rest of the league. It, just, it was such a dream that we could have here, and it just didn't turn out. I just feel like the NHL has to do what the uh, the NBA did, which is what they did with the WNBA. You're just forcing the teams. Too bad. European clubs also do this the same way. I think it's just folded under the major clubs. Have you have rookie teams? You can have women's teams as well. This is there's no excuse in this day and age at all. Yeah, I mean, and I think even women's hockey as we see it, I think they need to discuss contact in the sport as well. I feel like if there's going to be a level of contact added to the game, there might be a marketability there that can go beyond the the binary or at least the the the, the confines of what it is that we view women's hockey as, which is no contact. They, they didn't finish the season, right? They didn't get the Isabel Cup, Cup handed out? I don't think so, no. Okay, so, so that, yeah, this is a shame. Yeah, thank you, Adam, yeah, yeah confirming. I'm, I'm quite sure it wasn't, so... Yeah. It's going to be interesting, but uh, in terms of your Canada's end dreams, uh, don't lose hope because there's a pretty good chance they'll be back. Amen to that. And we will be back on December the 22nd. So uh, you don't have to focus or any of your dreams or energy on that. Focus on them all on the good stuff. Uh, we will be back to make all of your holiday wishes come true on December the 22nd, hopefully with a guest or two. This has been the Hockey Flow. I want to get a shout out uh, Mr. Marco D'Amico, who can be found at scrimmagestats.com, and of course at the Hockey Expert, and Adam Boucher, who can be found on Twitter at really Adam B. My name is Andrew Cordero. We'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>